Welcome back to Podex. Our guest for today is Jay Vardhan Goenka. Jay is the youngest director of Dynamics Group, one of India's largest real estate development companies based out of Mumbai. He started his career at a young age of 20 and quickly earned the respect of all the members of the organization by his efficient methods of working. Jay along with his team leads the activities at Dynamics Group. Jay, thank you so much for being a part. This is like super exciting for me. Thank you very much for having me. I wish it's a pleasure and uh... you know i have talked to you to to actually um reach out and to actually make it happen so you know uh kudos to you 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 know i think this one's like going to be a interesting one for me personally because i think there's so much for me to learn like all the questions that i've had in my mind and prepared is like the questions which i really want to ask and learn and know about and so it's going to be fun, fun cuz i'm going to be learning while my audience will also be learning at the same time so Yeah I think it's 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 just going to be ama- amazing having you. Oh good. I hope I add some value to uh, uh you know to the work that you're doing and I hope I add some value to the uh to your audiences and I'm sure that I will also learn a few things along the way so it will be mutual. So I want to start off with you know the legacy part. Like I want to start off with your journey exactly like you started so young and yet managed to establish a strong name in the market in such a short period of time. So like What do you think exactly happened? Was it your mindset? Was it your work ethic? Like, just help us decode that part. So, first of all, I don't know uh, to what extent I have a very strong sort of name in the market, but you know, um, taking your word for it for a second, uh, I would say the the um, the few things that I, I mean, the few um, practices I put in place uh, are just things that you know you would learn in. school and in college just pretty straightforward work very very hard uh, you know study everything that you that you receive get into the details don't uh, um, you know don't leave things at high levels because you know you expect others to do them for you um, you need to get down into the dirty details and understand for yourself especially when you're starting off um, because there lies uh you know as they say the devil is in the details so so you get into all uh get in into the depth of your subject matter and uh, once you're in there and you start developing a certain level of expertise um i think the business can starts coming naturally to you and uh, or at least it to me and um you know just i i tried to get acquainted with the length and breadth of of work so you know right from the approvals process to um you know land records to uh sales to marketing to design and eventually construction as well uh of course law was part of it um and uh, uh you know regulatory stuff as well so you know i think when you are in management or when you're trying to essentially put up a company and or or, or run a company or you're put into a, a position of uh, um leadership it's important for you to to have domain expertise and the only way to develop that in a short period of time is to put in the hard yards and to do all the to do all the hard work to get there so that's really what i followed um i figured that there's no substitute to hard work and uh, and that's what i what i did just picked up read whatever i could learned whatever i could attended as many meetings as i could asked questions was felt like an idiot a lot of times as well but that's okay um but uh you know in the process picked up the kind of domain expertise that i think uh, um is it has given me 
a lot of uh, knowledge with respect to my sector and uh, i hope uh, a decent quality name in the market you know i think the, the interesting part which you really spoke about was like asking questions because i i think where it comes from is the way, the reason why people are scared to ask questions i think i i kind of figured that part out was even i was only very scared of asking questions so what happens when you're in school is uh basically when you try to ask questions you're afraid that other students may laugh or they may think that you're stupid and that's when the fear gets embedded within you and yeah. i had the same problem i used to be like very afraid to ask questions and then slowly i decided that maybe 5 years later i won't be even knowing half of these people they won't be in my class we'll be in different colleges we'll be in different schools and it would just be stupid if i don't ask right now and then try to figure out what it is or what i missed out on and that's when even i started asking questions and yeah i mean yeah i think that's one advice which i really like to hear no that's excellent and you know i would also go further and say that a lot of times i mean i was i was the same as you and and i remain the same you know you you do feel a little bit insecure when you want to ask uh uh questions that you think people have the the answer for right or have the answer to um but if you don't ask the question you're not going to know where your knowledge was lacking and where the gaps in your expertise was so i think that's one thing which you know for self improvement and to just become a better entrepreneur a better business person better podcast host you know you just you need to ask those questions and you need to do them fearlessly and a lot of times in school and in college i would find that the question that i would ask or the question that somebody else would you know muster up the courage to ask was a question i myself was feeling you know embarrassed to ask so a lot of times you have to understand that you do have a certain baseline knowledge you do have a certain baseline understanding and if you're struggling with a point that you need to clarify chances are somebody else is too so you're doing yourself a favor and you're also doing somebody else a favor and by asking the question and it's important therefore to have the courage to do so and uh um you know if people make you feel like a bit stupid for doing that it's okay it doesn't matter you know you probably are giving them a good service by asking that anyway so um that's how i would really approach this and yeah you there will be moments where you feel a little bit dumb but that's okay you know you can't be can't take yourself so seriously all the time you are you you is the funny part like this is for the audience uh, just before jay and i started recording the podcast i told him there were some questions which i don't know if they would fit into the podcast or not but i told him that i'd be asking them post the podcast so like yeah <laughs> Right. So I wanted to go to like the next part which is like you know you come from a family that has a fascinating story and legacy on how your grandfather started the group from scratch and went on to build such a huge group. So like if you don't mind could you tell us the story and in what way did it impact you and you know becoming the person who you are today? Yeah, I mean it is an amazing it's very inspiring story at least for for me and for my entire family. Um so you know my grandfather used to live in uh, uh he had a family business and a family enterprise in Karachi which is you know now in Pakistan back then it was in undivided india um and at the time of uh, independence and partition they lost everything my grandfather was 7 years old in his factories uh, watched you know a lot of the factory workers uh, um, killed before his eyes and uh, he was educated he was very pretty uh, you know intelligent 
but they lost everything as a family and he had to uh, uh, you know flee pretty much overnight in in uh, in a train and moved from karachi to um, calcutta where he had some family members uh and you know he essentially started started off his life from scratch uh from there now you know being very entrepreneurial uh, from that age he essentially put himself through school and you know when he was old enough to actually start doing some form of business he did come from a business family so that was something that he was very keen on doing right from a young age um he borrowed some money from a relative and uh, um opened up a store that sold tea leaves and this was in the the sort of interiors of west bengal a uh, very very hot you know 40 45 degrees no air conditioning at the time and it was a little little shop um and you know in order to achieve maximum sales at the time what my grandfather used to do is he used to uh, sleep in the store he would not have time to go home so essentially he would finish up wrap up with work at about 8 9 o'clock at night go to bed in the store and uh, um wake up early one early the next morning or, or just outside the shop and uh, wake up early the next morning and and start again and in his very early days as 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 you know the person who ran this tea shop um his entire inventory got robbed so he lost his entire investment um you know almost overnight the locks were broken and when he woke up one day and he found that all of his material had been robbed uh this was a, actually a point where he had actually gone home uh, to see his family and he came back to find that he had no more material remaining and no more stocks remaining in his uh, um in his business you know for for someone at that age and for someone at that time having their essentially all their savings in fact probably in debt uh you know having that been stolen and um you lose essentially what form of livelihood you had or your ability to pay off your debts uh it can be quite devastating you know it was a very difficult time for him at the time but um he was quite tough very men- mentally very 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 strong and he just picked himself up and he said look this has happened and this is the luck of the draw and he went on to take a job selling records at uh, at a local store so he ended up selling records uh, he was very well educated by the time he had actually put himself through school and college spoke excellent english um actually graduated um with a, with a first class from st xavier's college in calcutta at the time um so that was you know it was a great mark of distinction as a um you know distinction in, in academia to have graduated from there and he did that on his own steam he did that whilst actually uh, working part time as well so he had that mental toughness and um, using his education using his knowledge using his 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 spoken english skills started working in this record shop wherein he became friendly with one of the patrons uh, uh, who used to be a local uh, a very local very large local business person you know uh, they became good friends he that that person uh, you know grew fond of my grandfather and uh, essentially at that time you know if you found good people as a business person um competent people people who saw eye to eye with you you would want them to be part of your organization it was the way things worked at the time from what i understand uh, to a great extent today as well so he hired him he hired him to be his right hand and hired him to run his 
coal mines, his salt mines, all of those things uh, in uh, um, West Bengal. So my grandfather did all of that. And thereafter, you know, this family wanted to diversify and get into other businesses. So they sent my grandfather to uh, Bombay. At that time, it was Bombay um, to actually explore uh, textiles. And he got into the textile trade. He actually acquired a factory, started running, became in charge of a factory, joined, formed a joint venture with very strong local partners. And uh, in the 1970s, the entire mill industry was nationalized. So what happened is, I, I don't know, maybe you, know, you would not be familiar with this. It was much before my time as well, significantly before yours. Um, but the entire mill industry was nationalized by, by the government then in force. And uh, a lot of these factories had to shut down overnight. And my grandfather did what any good business person would do and said that I cannot sustain this operation anymore. Shut it down and was immediately taken to court by the local uh, joint venture partner of his. Um, so they, they didn't see eye to eye on that issue. Um, and, you know, they decided to litigate. Uh, my grandfather, again, being a pretty hardy guy, being pretty stubborn, uh, pretty mentally tough, fought the case all the way up to the Supreme Court. And remember, he was an employee at this time. He was just a, a person who, who was running the factories on behalf of his employer. And he was up against one of the largest textile families of the country at the time. And, uh, you know, to hear him say it, he would say that I had my two lawyers appearing for me in the Supreme Court and up against me were all the senior counsels and all the, all the, all the, you know, who's who of the legal fraternity. And uh, he fought his way all the way up to the Supreme Court and, uh, and he won. The Supreme Court held in his favor saying that Mr. Goinka acted in the way that any normal business person would, any prudent business person would. And, uh, his stand was vindicated. So, um, you know, this is, from there, he decided to go out on his own. He had a few relationships that he had cultivated. And uh, he decided that the one need that he wanted to service or the one gap that he wanted to fill was uh, providing housing to the middle classes in, in India. Uh, in Bombay at the time, you know, it was South, Mom South Bombay was the only place where, you know, quality, re uh, quality real estate was being built. Nobody was really building anything in the suburbs today, which are now essentially super affluent, very uh, um, notable suburbs. Uh, there was swampland when my dad, when my grandfather actually started the, uh, his career. And he said that this is what I'll do. I'll build to, for people who are, you know, uh, not, not the wealthiest of society because society is not building those quality homes for them. And he started his career then with his first project being one that he built for um, displaced mill workers, incidentally. So a lot of mill workers who had lost their jobs in the nationalization were rehoused in, in the first, very first project that he built. And uh, he started building his business from there. So that's just a little, little five-minute story about, you know, what made my grandfather this extremely hardy man and uh, stubborn, very fair though. Um, and an absolute visionary for his time. And, and you know, uh, whenever I think about him, I, I can feel nothing but inspired. 
Now, you know, it's like a very firing up story. So like I asked you to tell the story for the audience that didn't know. I read about it. And I think that was one thing which completely changed my perspective, which is being persistent and continuously putting in the effort and hard work. Because your grandfather actually proved it that when you continuously try and put in hard work, no amount of failures can stop you from succeeding. And I think that's one big take which I got from reading that story itself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and every time he was knocked down, he just got back up and tried again. And I think there's a lot to learn in that. You know, you will encounter uh, speed bumps along your way. Uh, you will encounter things that you know are obstacles and and do slow you down. But that's okay. That's that's just part of the journey. And uh, um, you have to have the grit. At least I I believe that you know you have to have the grit and the and the and the mental fortitude to. to believe that once you navigate through that you're going to be in a better uh, you would be better off for it and uh, you have to have that innate sense of optimism that uh, um, you know things are are going to turn out in the way that you want them to and this was something truly special about that generation of entrepreneur you know the kind of hardships that those people saw right from you know the partition to in the western world two world wars in quick succession you know it, it gives them of course they have their downsides you know you end up you know not being very in touch with uh, um your emotions because you've dealt with such difficult adversity you've dealt with such adversity but it's important it, it it demonstrates the kind of grit and the kind of fortitude that they have and the kind of energy and and uh, uh, reluctance to 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 take no for an answer they brought into the business world you know but like how, how do you think that they man how do you think anyone can develop that warrior mindset in this age especially for someone like okay so for my generation we keep on moving things we want things to happen really very fast you know we something's happening we like even attention spans gone down people watch a lot yeah. of reels nowadays because they have less attention span they can't yeah. focus they want to shift changes they keep on shifting jobs they want to try this they want to try that so how do you think they can like develop that warrior mentality of continuously fighting and doing that that's a very good question and frankly i wouldn't have the answer because you know i think it's something that uh, the world's most intelligent psychologists are, are are thinking about today and what i will say is that it's important to to think about committing to something and to be being very clear about what you want to commit to if you decide to commit to it having take the full think about it spend a lot of time thinking about it and commit fully and once you do that i think you will find a find a very natural tendency to wanting to keep going you know to want to keep going uh, with respect to the you know the, the path that you've chosen you know you say that in uh, uh, today's today's uh, sort of world a lot of people from your generation want very quick results very quick answers and want to move around a lot right we're fortunate that the world affords us that uh, um, kind of liberty right our parents generation and our grandparents generation didn't have that liberty available to them um so it's a luxury that we have but i think it's also something which ends up creating relationships that are relationships and and bonds that are somewhat superficial so it's important to actually therefore it's important to to know what you want to get into 
and be clear that this is something that you want look at it from look at it with a with a lifetime perspective rather than something that you want to look at for the next 2 to 5 years you may end up choosing a different career path in 2 to 5 years because this may just not work for you and that's okay but you should not go into something looking thinking that it's it's temporary you know it, it's because that's not how the great great institutions of the world were built you know that's not how you know, rome was not built in a day right this is a saying that you know we hear all the time rome wasn't built in a day it took generations and thousands of years um and there's a lot to learn from that you know you have to keep persisting you have to keep working and and you have to make those small incremental changes uh, over over time and after having put in effort and energy and when you have made enough of those you will find yourself at a point where you look back and you say oh wow you know that, that's quite a lot of ground that i've covered whereas whilst you're actually in the process of doing so it feels like every change is monumental and every change is very slow so it's it's a, it's a difficult question to answer but this is the way i'd sort of offer a um you know my thoughts on it no yeah i i think i need to like i'm i'm going to try and practice that and embed that to you know focus on the thing because even my mind like i told you it juggles a lot between different things and i think this advice was like helpful for me so i think i wanted to use that <laughs> yeah no take a long term perspective on things and uh, um and what that will also enable you to do is to is to put short term challenges into perspective so a lot of times we have a tendency to feel overwhelmed by the problem that's in front of us and uh, if you have a much longer term vision for yourself and the work that you're doing um those things seem like minor blips on a radar you know it's like if you take elon musk for example the amount of failures that he struggled through before he had successful launches and has built the you know uh, spacex that that he has today with you know this mission of going to mars being something that is pretty much around the corner in so far as he is concerned um had he allowed himself to be to be to to change tack every time he had a failed launch or every time something didn't go the way that he, he believed it should have gone um i don't think we would be where we are i don't think he would be where he is today and i think the world is better off for it you know the world is better off for 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 the work that he's done as an example you know and there's many more like this this is just one that stopped yeah. at the moment get <laughs> it i i hopefully i'm hoping that i can do that you know another question which just popped up in my mind was that uh what was the best advice that your family gave you so my grandfather used to have this very interesting saying um you know he was somebody who seen quite a lot and and you know had his own you know operating model of the world in in his mind and and he used to say to us that you know when he was giving us advice on how we should conduct ourselves and uh, his grandkids you know when when he was giving us advice on how we should conduct ourselves and conduct our business he'd say ego having an ego leads to expectations expectations always lead to anger and anger always leads to disappointment so it was a very very reductive and you know logical scheme that he presented and the idea of telling you this is that if you don't want disappointment don't be egotistical 
don't have that ego don't have that expectation because that is going to lead you to a place where the end goal is only you being disappointed so it was a very very prescient uh, saying and it's something that we i i, I try to practice um you know we all we all have whatever egos we do have but it's important to keep it in check and uh, um I learned a great deal from that from my grandfather, and I try to practice it uh, to the greatest extent I can. And and I look around and I see, um, you know, maybe it's confirmation bias, but I see it uh, at play quite a lot in the world. That you know, the most egotistical man or woman is the one who's most disappointed, and the one who's a little bit less egotistical is probably doing doing a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> so like uh, i'm i'm not sure if my translation is correct in a sense can we also say that give it's it's like the saying like giving without expecting we need to give back more than expecting in a sense would that also be true to this absolutely i mean you know it, it's it's about giving with your energy giving with your time giving with your money giving with you know um you know your love your everything right it's a, you have to be if you if you discard this this sort of egotistical conception of yourself um you are much more willing to be um to be giving with your time energy and resources and as a result you jettison the one thing that that you know necessarily leads to disappointment for yourself and for those around you because a disappointed and angry person is 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 of no no good to anyone you know and if you get rid of those forces that take you there um you're going to be better off for them so humility is 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 a virtue that we were we were taught my grandfather taught us is something that's indispensable both um because it's a good way to be and because it will serve you well in the world of um you know in your professional and personal lives as well Yeah, I had a story which was like not completely related to this. Like, it's it's kind of like a theory, exactly not completely related, but in a sense, it is related. Like you said, when you give your time to someone, so basically, what I've learned is, um, uh, when you when you're trying to like build relationships with someone, or uh, if there's someone really new, this is what I've personally noticed, which is when you give them time and when you open up first, you're slowly forming that bond. I've noticed that a bond with another person forms much more faster when you tell them stories or when you tell them these tiny little secrets that you have. or your fun likings you know cuz what happens is uh, i i don't know how i'm a really excellent communicator and i can communicate with almost everyone so one day i just tried thinking about it which is i might suddenly start talk about anything i might ask questions like oh this is my favorite food what is yours or this is what i like so when you open up when you give someone what you're feeling when you think about it like when you give them your time it helps in forming healthier relationships that's what i felt no you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and uh, um and it is very straightforward reason for that as well because you are essentially putting some part of yourself before that person which they don't know about right and as a result it's human nature to feel reciprocal so they will reciprocate back and through that process you will develop a much stronger bond and and uh, um it's something which if you're doing already you're doing a very good job you, you've learned something which you know it took me <laughs> 10 years in business to figure out so uh, i think you're doing very well and it's something which uh, um just i think to a good large extent very very true 
yeah it, it kind of like helps in building trust so when you're sharing a secret what happens is the other person like okay this person already trusts me even though we've met each other like we've known each other for just a week but this person already trusts me with the secrets so of what he thinks and all that stuff and that's when they start trusting you more that's what i feel the psychological yeah. the psychology yeah, behind yeah, it yeah yeah no absolutely and there's there's research on this and and you know um when you read books written by ace negotiators this is one of the one of the practices that they tell you to follow you know and of course it's just interesting reading uh, but uh, there's some there's a lot of truth to that and it's you're essentially opening up to someone and in doing that you're you're breaking down some kind of uh, edifice that they may think you have uh, put up before them and that allows them to 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 have a way in and therefore form a much stronger bond yeah i i think yeah like you said i read about it and that's when i came to know about it i think that's how i kind of figured it out and i don't know it was even a bit of it was inborn i would say i i just haven't figured out completely yet but yeah great now that's amazing just keep doing it and you'll figure out the drivers yeah thank you so much or right, so i wanted to come to the real estate part since dynamics group is into the real estate with segment so like when it comes to real estate what are like the abc's of real estate for someone like me who doesn't know anything in my audience like what are the basics of it what would you say so if you do you want to be a real estate developer or do you want to be a real estate consumer because they're two very different things uh i have no clue about it i think could you give us a little bit of both the perspective side sure so if you want to if you want to consume real estate so if you want to just go buy a house or you want to go buy an office or you want to go buy a shop for example it's fairly straightforward um in today's world with you know the real estate regulatory act uh, uh, being something that provides a lot of consumer protection uh, compared to the days the the old days where that wasn't the case so all you need to do is essentially look up the project that 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 you want to invest in understand how it's financed understand where it is on its approvals the most important thing with any real estate project are is its approval cycle because you know in india it's very 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 challenging to bring in approvals and uh, that's what at least in in the real estate sector takes the longest time to have and is the most complex part of the process once those are in it's pretty straightforward i mean you just need to figure out whether the developer that you're wanting to buy a flat from is a, a credible name right what is the work that they've done in the past have they delivered projects to a high standard or to a promise standard and on time right so you need to figure that out that's two very important questions that you should ask b are they completely are the projects that they are building and is the project that you're interested in is it completely approved from start to finish are there any issues that may come up later on in the development cycle of the project that uh, um you know could hamper the development or could delay the development and see is the project is the price that the builder is offering you a fair one uh what is the prevailing price in the market and um, what is the price that he's asking you to pay what are the payment terms again all feeds into the overall commercial discussion and uh, are you as the buyer going to be able to meet those commercial terms because it's important for you to buy something that you know that you can afford and you can meet your obligations towards because if you're not able to you're putting yourself and your project the project that you bought in at risk 
because you not being able to make payments means that you may end up you know having some kind of uh, dispute with the person that you've bought from and you not being able to make payments for the bill that may put him in financial trouble as well so that's really important uh, to figure out and on top of that if you can you know get a home loan based on your income profile and um, and your uh, your age etc you should do that because it's cheap today home loans are quite cheap then you know 6.75 7% very very attractive rates because you know the overall lending rates in the country are down so if you do that you end up uh, um, you know you, you will be you will be pretty well off and you'll be pretty okay uh, with respect to a real estate investment so that's if you're a real estate buyer you know oh, sorry for interrupting you, you before like really sorry for interrupting before we get into the commercial side i had a question what happens to the consumer side like what happens if a consumer makes a commitment of a certain amount of payment and then he's not able to meet it like what happens after that so there are very strict provisions under uh, rera so the real estate uh, regulatory authority um so if the consumer is unable to make payments and decides that he's unable to go ahead with the transaction for whatever reason right you may anyone may have a good and proper reason for wanting to opt out of the deal um they are entitled to a refund of their money less some amount of uh, uh, money that the builder would have spent in actually acquiring the customer so if, for example if you would acquire a flat from me um you know i would probably end up spending money on marketing i would have lost the opportunity to sell the flat to somebody else i would have paid some uh, uh, brokerage to a broker if a broker was involved so i have spent money in actually acquiring you as a customer so i'm entitled to that money back and the rest of the money that you paid me gets uh, refunded back to you um that's pretty much the the way and there are other contractual provisions that you have to look for but those are more you know detailed uh, um sort of uh legalese which i don't think it's worth getting into at this point but uh, um that's broadly what it is if you're not able to meet your commitment you're entitled to receive your money back um and uh that's if you want to opt out if you want to opt in and you need more time to make your payments right you say to the builder look i was due to pay you this money today but i need a one year to pay it to you the builder may decide whether that works for him or not right because he's factored his receivables over a period of time and over certain milestones that you committed to but you need a deviation on that you need some some relaxation on that so the builder will say fine and the provisions of rera provide for some amount of additional interest to be paid by you as compensation or as uh, you know to compensate for the time value loss of that money so that's broadly what happens in case of you know someone not being able to meet their financial commitments as a buyer to a developer oh yeah you can go to the commercial side yeah yeah and now if you're a real estate developer okay <laughs> quite a lot more complicated <laughs> i imagine um because you have to essentially conduct this uh, uh you know heavy moving piece orchestra all the time so you essentially right from acquiring land you need to figure out whether the land that you're being offered has any issues with respect to regulatory questions you know the laws in our country change all the time so you have to be completely up to date with those and make sure that you know tomorrow something that happens uh, um, on the legal front doesn't actually make your land undevelopable or or something that's in in you know that that you expect to happen 
doesn't make your land undevelopable. So that's one thing that you need to figure out. Uh, then you need to figure out how to finance your land acquisition. You know, there has to be a certain equity, debt, investment mix. So all those questions have to come up as well. Once your land is purchased, what do you actually make there? What does the location lend itself towards? Should you make an office building? Should you make a mall? Should you make a, an apartment building? If so, what would be the pricing that you, that you would achieve? What will the market, surrounding market absorb? You know, these are the questions that you need to answer. This is the research that you need to do. And uh, there's quite a lot of work to be done in actually arriving at those answers because a miscalculation, you know, could render significant losses, you know, or, or some kind of a uh, improper working on, on your, your financial models, your Excel sheets, whatever it is, um, could result in you uh, making a big financial mistake. So... That has to be figured out. Once you figure out what you want to build, you have to design it. So you have to go to architects, engineers, uh, uh, you know, um, wind tunnel experts, etc., etc., and get your project entirely designed. Um, now there's a, a there's a sort of very fundamental language that needs to be followed when you do that because you have to be able to make your building meet the brief that your customer wants. So you have to build what the customer desires whilst also ensuring that it meets your financial expectations in terms of cost. You know, um, you can design something that, you know, is like a Rolls Royce, but you can't build it at the price of a Tata Nano, right? So it has to be worked out in that manner. So if, if I'm building something in a, in a location, which is a, which is a low-income location, for example, right? Or if I'm building a low-income house, right, for somebody, I cannot design it in the same way that I would potentially design a ultra-luxury development. And that's where a lot of builders get things wrong as well. You know, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's a, it's a different science, essentially, that you, have, uh, that, you, um, that you employ for different types of asset classes. You know, offices are designed in a completely different way to housing and housing... At one end of the spectrum, it's completely different to housing at the other end of the spectrum. And that's just the way the market works. Uh, and that's what the customers want. So you've got to figure out what you want to design. Once it's designed and, and ready, you have to cost it and you have to go and get it approved. And then the approval process itself requires a lot of research, a lot of work and a lot of effort. You know, um, So you have to read all the regulations. You've got to understand what's going on in the, in the overall regulatory environment how it works, how the file will move from one table to the next, all the way up to the final signing authority and how you can minimize the time because every day that's lost in, in you not actually constructing or selling on site um, is money lost in terms of interest. There's time lost in, in terms of, you know, a day that you're never getting back. So, um, so minimizing that process and, you know, like I said earlier, the only way you'll be on top of that process and be able to minimize it is if you know it, if you know it deeply, if you've studied it, if you've actually spent the time uh, that you ought to have to, to understand what needs to be done. And once you get your building approvals in, how to reach your customer? You know, it's very today, you know, the world is so different. When I joined the business in, you know, 10 years ago, um, we used to still rely on newspaper ads and hoardings, right? And uh, um, 
you know that kind of communication talk through brokers talk through newspapers magazines etc now nobody does that anymore you know we all do it it's all marketed through digital media you know sms and whatsapp and facebook and instagram google adverts and it's a whole changing environment you know the way that the customers approach the way the customer is spoken to the whole language is different today so how do you distribute your product essentially how do you actually reach customers is a question that you have to ask yourself and then you have to employ the right people to be able to do that for you and as you sell you know your product gains uh, essentially proof of concept and uh, you know that it's a viable product and it prior to going out into the market for sale is registered with the real estate regulatory authority and you tender the job to you know you you invite good quality contractors and and builders to build it for you and you start construction and and you know you have to have a very solid control over timeline very solid control over costs for example um you know commodity prices are going up significantly today steel and cement prices are much higher today than they were you know a year and a half ago and those affect your bottom line so there's constant monitoring on that as well so there's a lot of stuff to consider but this is broadly the way the entire process runs and uh, you know there's there's work and there's knowledge and there's um, expertise from disparate different uh, um, stakeholders at every step of the way wait i just had a question which has been in my mind for a while i, I don't know it may sound foolish which is uh, basically what happens is i think there's a rule that every time if uh, whenever the construction company delays in uh, by a few days a few number of days or a few number of months they pay the customers a certain amount of money correct is that right. uh, some rule yeah so the the correct. real estate regulatory authority has the rule which says that if the project is delayed beyond a certain number beyond the date that i so for example i start a project and i say i'm going to build it and has hand it over you know in 4 years from today once that 4 year period is over right for every day of delay that i suffer or, or that the customer suffers there is interest that has to be paid to the customer for that delay so i had the question which is what happened during the time of covid yeah it's a very interesting question um covid was out of everybody's control right construction sites were shut down for the longest time labor was very difficult uh, migrant labor had all um gone back to their homes so it was a difficult time for everybody to navigate what uh, the government did what the rural authorities did at the time was they said that look this is something which is called force majeure right it's just out of everyone's hand uh, out of everyone's hands and uh, therefore it's neither the builder's fault nor is it nor is it the customer's fault right so what rera did is it essentially gave everybody a six month extension on the timelines so for example if a building was to be built by 31st september 2021 at uh, uh, 30th september sorry 2021 it got an automatic extension to to 31st of march 2022 so so it gave everybody a six month grace essentially because things were very difficult across the sector and across the country for those six for those that period of the first first wave another question that i had was how, how do you think like these are uh, the at construction sites how do engineers manage labor so what i feel is uh, a labor is get paid on a reg- everyday basis so like 
every day they work they get paid a certain amount so what if there are uh, these people the weavers start working slowly intentionally so that they can work for more days and earn more cash so how do engineers manage that to like you know uh, keep them working at a certain speed and keep them efficient yeah so that's a very interesting question and a very good question but the, the short answer to that is there's two ways right one is the sometimes the labor is incentivized so um, you know if you if they meet x quantum of production in a certain day or you know they cast so much concrete or they tie so much steel they get uh, um, you know a um, uh, uh, bonus for that day so that incentivizes them to work quickly number one number two um, every contractor has good contractors have the knowledge and expertise to know what kind of production they can expect out of their laborers um, for a particular day you know a steel fixer will tie x you know 100 kilos or x you know tons of steel in a particular given period of time and the contractors know this that's how they actually work out their calculations and uh, uh, they come back to you on um, what would be the requirements so so there is a certain amount of knowledge that people come with there's a certain amount of incentivization and uh, more than anything i usually just have to at some point trust the fact that people are are going to just put their best foot forward and and work build systems that ensure that you know people are incentivized to do that and uh, you will have a few bad apples um, but that does not ruin the entire apple cart okay that's really interesting like that that was a question which had been in my mind for like so many years and i never really figured out the answer to that and finally i got the answer for that sure <laughs> so like i wanted to ask you is real estate like considered a good investment option because like in our country we keep on hearing that we should invest in real estate but is it a safe option like how how is it like what is the option look it's, it's there's two aspects to home ownership right one is the important emotional aspect Right. Take a a scenario like COVID nineteen. We're all confined to our homes. You really realize that the home is far far more important than what you ever thought it was. We earlier, I myself used to view my home as a place to you know have a shower and go to sleep. You know, and I was out the rest of the day. Um, it's much more than that now and you and you understand that after having gone through this kind of a, a tumultuous period so having a roof over your head which you which you own right provides a lot of emotional stability to families and to people if you consider a scenario like covid what happened right we were all confined to our homes we couldn't go out we had to work from home so you needed a a very you need a good quality space to live and work in right now if you own if you if you rented a home right you constantly had to make sure you paid the rent on time failing which you faced the possibility of eviction right you could be evicted you could be out on the streets and where do you go right what do you do you either go back to your parents house or if your parents don't live in the city that you're actually renting in what do you do do you go back to you work uh, remotely from a place that's not yours do you uproot your entire social um setting very difficult right so for renters in a time like covid 
there was job insecurity we heard about a lot of people who lost their jobs companies closed down some companies down fast you know salaries were cut for a lot of people so now someone who's earning x number of rupees and out of that x number of rupees spend say 30% on or 40% on their rent right if that x becomes half right because he's had to take a salary cut or or he or she has been made redundant or whatever it is how do you pay the rent bill right and then you're constantly under fear of eviction you either dip into your savings if you don't want to do that you have fear of eviction or if you don't have those savings you are on the road so contrast that with a home owner right they are at home they don't have this mental pressure it's bad enough out there as it is you're struggling with a salary cut you're seeing a lot of loved ones go through you know covid you you you're seeing this bad news on the television every day um at least you have the comfort and security of your home and if you had a home loan right the reserve bank of india has given us a six month break a six month moratorium uh was the word on on interest payments so it's not like the bankers calling you and breathing down your neck saying make the payment or you're going to be out the way your landlord would because you know we must sympathize with the landlord as well he also has bills to pay he also has ends to meet and uh, um so you know who's at fault no, no one's at fault in the rental scenario and but if you own the place you have the emotional stability plus you have government incentives and government stability provided to you as well through these you know uh interest moratoriums and repayment moratoriums so the the, the home owner was far more secure now also you have a a home owner that has paid off his mortgage his or her mortgage and is sitting with the asset which with no debt on it right he can approach a bank and say listen please i'd like to mortgage my home my asset and i'd like you know some money to to use to tide me through this time you know to support my business if i'm a small business owner for example so the home becomes an asset that can be used to leverage to actually support other aspects of life as well which a rental can never be so home ownership from a, an emotional perspective is extremely important also financially you know the home is never an asset that you ever want to sell it's an asset that you want to hold on to or it's the asset that you want to pass down to generations to generation and when you're looking at that kind of a time horizon in cities like you know like mumbai for example there's no land that's being increased in the city it's a land starved city right and as a country we're what 25 to 30 percent urbanized price cities are growing larger and larger demand is going only higher and as a result real estate for a long term investment is a good idea um it gives you the emotional stability that you want it also gives you financial stability it's it's a it's a hard asset that you can hold on to and you can use unlike for example you know a share of stock in a company which is a great financial asset right and you can buy and sell it almost overnight with a home it takes longer to buy it takes long it takes equally long to sell but there's utility in it and it's a much it's a, it's it's a large asset which you know can be a great source of stability and a great source of income on on a rainy day
specifically so okay. in yeah and sorry to add to that in a city in a country like india buying high quality real estate in good developments in the metros i think is always a good idea don't overpay for something if you can negotiate hard but you will stand to at least if nothing else preserve your wealth you will not see the value of the home go from you know 100 down to 0 or 100 down to 50 in a very unlikely scenario there's very it's very unlikely that that could happen like what happened with the stock market when covid-19 hit you know we went from whatever 14000 points way down to 8 and a half or 9000 points so that those kinds of swings in values are not seen similarly those kinds of upswings in values are not seen either you know the market went from 9500 to almost 17000 points now you won't see that with home ownership but it's stable and uh, that, that's why i think there's a lot of value in uh, in owning so it's it's like a safe asset class for holding yeah. for the long term mhm okay and the thing which was like okay this was a very very personal question which is dynamics group is not just in the real estate but you are also in the hospitality sector and i think i even googled this question it's almost impossible to find a proper answer for this which is i'm obviously curious how much in profit do luxury hotels and resorts make so like i know if you can't give us the exact number could you share like the profit returns per annum in terms of like the percentage in comparison to the investment amount or something like that like h- how much do you all make or like how do you all make it i i know how do you very make tricky it, how much question. very tricky question for the simple reason that every hotel is different right you have resort hotels for example take a hotel in the maldives right very large properties large rooms you know big infrastructure um to maintain them but also very high room rates right so their cost matrix is very different to for example a city hotel which are you know much more consolidated sitting in one building 100 150 rooms uh, smaller room sizes much leaner staff but then also much smaller room revenues so it's a very actually it depends from asset class to asset class as to how um you know the profitability will work when resorts are different city hotels are different you know town hotels are are, are different and you know luxury five stars are, are different three stars are different so every within hotels you 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 know you've got a length and breadth of uh, um everything is diff- they're all unique across their length and breadth but as a rule of thumb you know um the operating profit this does not include the cost of the asset the cost of the building right that you made and the cost of the rooms and the cost of the hotel can be anywhere between 25% so for example revenue minus cost of you know um salaries and insurance and taxes and and uh, food in the restaurant etc so operating cost the operating margin should be sitting in in a hotel to anywhere between 25 to 60%. It's a huge uh uh range but you know a a a a smaller uh lower end hotel probably we sitting at a 25% range and a larger hotel larger you know resort hotel with you know five stars etc would probably be sitting at the high end of the range. Now from that you have to end up then servicing all of your interest costs. and you have to recover from the 25 to 60% margin you have to pay the cost of interest 
uh, on any loans that you have on the hotel. And you also will have to um, pay off the cost of the uh, asset itself. So the investment that you made in the, in the land, in the building, because those are capital assets. Those are not um, you know, part of the operating matrix. So, so that's how typically it would work. And, you know, like I said, every hotel is different, but you could look at your investment being returned to you anywhere between seven to 12 years. So from the day you start operation. So it just depends on, on what kind of hotel it is. But that's broadly the time horizon that people look at as well. Okay, wow. That's like a large time to like getting it back. But yeah, yeah. but do you, yeah, do but you, you know, you don't, you don't have to receive it all back uh, on day one. I mean, for hotel owners are, you know, hotel owners typically are in it for the, for the very long haul. You know, these are assets that people look at on a 20, 25, 30 year horizon. Um, so if the asset is paying itself off within seven to 12 years, um, then you've got another 15, 18, 20 years earn money with no cost associated with it essentially no capital cost aside from renovations refurbishments etc etc so that's typically how the maths broadly works out yeah so i had the question which is like uh, in the hospitality sector so let's say someone um uh, like uh dynamics owns grand hyatt goa so like the do you all like who manages the hotel so is it your staff or is it like staff that is trained by Hyatt and you all pay them or they are on your payroll or like how does that management part work? So all the staff is on the payroll of the company, but the hotel is managed by the Grand Hyatt Goa. By, 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 I'm sorry, by, by the Hyatt franchise. The Grand Hyatt Goa is the asset. The Hyatt deploys a GM, a general manager. They take a fee for management and they train and run all of the operations of the hotel. We are not involved in operations of the hotel and uh, neither should we because there's so many better qualified people to do it such as Hyatt, right? They've got a global booking system. They've got people who are working, thousands of employees working under the Hyatt brand with training and knowledge. Um, and that's, that's the expertise they bring to us and they take a fee for doing that. Um, they bring us, you know, loyal Hyatt customers uh, so customer is going to be loyal to the Grand Hyatt Goa because A, it's a good hotel, but uh, B, he's also loyal to the high brand because the high brand has standards and, and uh, quality assurance. So, so that's typically how it works. They take a fee and they deploy a general manager, but all the staff of the hotel is paid. It, it, it remains at the cost of the hotel. Okay, that was interesting. A last question. I know I took up a lot of time, but uh, the question which I had was, do you think there's a threat faced by the hotels and resorts industry by companies like Airbnb? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, this, the, the sharing economy is, is a threat to this business. Um, but I think there is something which a luxury hotel provides a customer which a Airbnb can never reproduce. Um, you know, the sense of service, the sense of uh, um, occasion, the, 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 the standards that these hotels have owned for years will never be replicated in, you know, an apartment rental over a few days. So I think that particular segment of the market continues to have a future. Um, 
even in the face of an Airbnb, yes, it it will impact some of its uh, some. It will be a threat that it has to pay heed to. But I do not think that um, you know hotels are going out of business anytime soon in the face of Airbnb because it's fundamentally a fairly different value proposition. I will. you know maybe travel to london to and stay at an airbnb because it's cheaper it's easier um, you know it's central i get an apartment to myself but i have to you know manage the food on my own i've got to stock up the fridge i've got to you know clean the room i've got to do all of that kind of stuff and if i'm interested in going to you know go out uh, the maldives for a holiday right and that's the mood i'm in i don't really want to be doing all of those things you know um and and therefore the only answer, the only thing that will provide that to me is is a is a high quality hotel so i think in the future it's a challenging time for hotels you know with covid and the, the, the airline industry the travel industry um you know the leisure industry it's all struggling at the moment but uh, um i think it does have a pretty pretty solid future ahead um and yes threats remain on the horizon but i think they are of a different nature yeah i think and also another reason why people go to like good five stars and hotels and resorts is for the experience like yeah. when you're on a holiday like you said no one wants to go and work on a holiday they just want to have fun and that is why they're exactly. willing to pay that extra amount and the premium to it because for the sure. experience yeah exactly So, uh, Jay, what is your last advice for anyone who's watching or listening this listening to this podcast? <laughs> Just you know, it's uh, we live in uncertain times at the moment. So, the one thing that you 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 ought to be is very optimistic. Uh, we live in a world that's much better today than you know. Five, seven, ten years ago, and it's and it's hard. It, it's difficult. We sometimes lose sight of that fact. You know, when you turn on the news and you see, um, you know, COVID cases spiking or Afghanistan going through tumultuous times, uh, um, the way it is, you end up really questioning that. But I think we live in a very optimistic time, and uh, we should not lose sight of that. You know, we should not allow ourselves to be consumed by uh, this barrage of content that we're all exposed to. um and it's important to filter what is relevant and what isn't and uh um you know be a little bit discerning in what we consume in terms of in so far as content is concerned and uh as a result just be a little optimistic uh you know hope for a better future and uh um work really 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 hard to get there there is no substitute for hard work you will encounter obstacles along the way and that's just part of the journey that's just how it is um they can't they they will seem like sometimes they throw you off but you shouldn't let them have that that power over you um and just you know work your backside off and you will you may not get the results you desire but you'll feel damn good about that a few me of sure you will feel damn good about the results you do get Thank you so much for being at Park Jay. We had yeah. like an amazing time. I learned so much from you. So yeah, thank you so much for joining in. Thank you. Thanks Ayush. Thank you for your time and uh really really appreciate all all your hard work. Thank you.